the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that I for the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The reading this morning from the book of Acts sent me hurtling back through time and space to more than 25 years ago when I was a freshman in college. Not a place many of us would like to return to, but there I was. And it took me to a time in that freshman year when I had a very difficult decision to make. I had to choose between two a cappella groups that had chosen me. Very important. I was in agony. I'll spare you the pathetic details, but my life practically stopped for a week, which says something about my general state of mind as a freshman that year. In any case, in order to make my decision, I flipped a coin. Heads, one group. Tails, the other. It was heads. And when I informed the leaders of the group that corresponded with heads, they were delighted. But I wasn't, because I realized almost immediately that I'd made the wrong decision. <laughs> I'd listed pros and cons, and on this side of the page, and on this side of the page, and I'd talked to people, and so forth and so on. But in desperation, I flipped a coin. I hadn't listened to and followed my heart. Fortunately, as embarrassing as it was, I was able to change my decision. I called the people I needed to call and 
red-faced and all, I changed my mind and changed my decision and lived happily with that decision for the next three years. But had I known then what I know now, had I been a Christian then, I would have remembered, I hope, that God loves me so much that it doesn't really matter what decision I make. This love is especially true when we have decisions that seem hard to make and especially when we have decisions that really are hard to make and even decisions where we might make a mistake. In the Acts passage this morning, a group of 120 people in the newly burgeoning Jesus movement have a big decision to make. They have a vacancy they need to fill in their leadership. And the stakes are high. Judas had left the movement under a cloud, and a new apostle was needed to take his place. After confident prayer to a God they knew, knew them, and loved them, they cast lots. Now, as some of you may know, casting lots is essentially the same as a coin toss. And it would have been part of the Hebrew Bible's heritage that these early disciples would have known from their own scriptures. It was an accepted way of discerning God's will. Now, we don't know how Barsabbas and Matthias came to the fore. We don't know how the candidates were vetted, shall we say. But in the end, Matthias won. And the community, confident in God's love, the community moved forward and got on with the mission that God had given them. Now, I think it's interesting to note in passing that this is the last we hear of Matthias. He appears, he appears nowhere else in Scripture, which is kind of interesting given all the ink that had been spilled on writing about this particular decision process. And for all the prestige of being an apostle, he never appears again in Scripture. It makes me think, well, maybe he wasn't a very good apostle. Maybe he wasn't very faithful, or maybe he was kind of a boring speaker, not very charismatic, not worthy of mention. Or maybe he was just doing the gospel work quietly, simply, faithfully, one individual at a time. We don't know. Or another example of decision-making. In the Gospel of Luke which most scholars agree was written by the same person who wrote the book of the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus is shown spending the night in prayer before deciding on who the twelve apostles will be. Apparently, even he made one choice that didn't work out so well. Judas, acting of his own free will, despite later attempts to see it as preordained, Judas, of his own free will, eventually chose a different way. Now, I wonder, and we don't know, of course, but I wonder why Jesus included Judas in that original 12 leaders that he chose. Perhaps Jesus knew that Judas would have been a risky choice. But in the deepness of his prayer, of Jesus' prayer, And in the deepness of his love for God and God's love for him and God's love for Judas, Jesus took the chance. Maybe he knew that Judas really needed the chance to be close to him and his mission. Jesus made the decision 
and confidence in God's love for himself and for Judas, Jesus went on with the business of spreading the good news. Now, there are a variety of other models of decision-making in the Bible, particularly around choosing people for leadership. There's the casting of lots. There's prayer. There's the examination of the candidates and their families and their character and their conduct. Is it exemplary enough to be a leader? And in the broader Christian traditions, extending on beyond the Bible, there's, for example, the example of uh, Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises, in which there's a very... uh, Uh, wise model of decision making that combines analytical and imaginary into one in order to discern God's will. But all these decision making processes, techniques for making decisions, assume two very important truths. These are the bedrock assumptions of these decision making processes. And that is God loves us and wants the best for us, for you, and for me. And that God's love cannot be bought, it cannot be earned, it cannot be lost, it cannot be destroyed. This is powerful and liberating knowledge. God loves us. God wants the best for us. God's love cannot be bought, earned, lost, or destroyed. As the hymn this morning said, fully loved, freely loved, excuse me, freely loved, fully known, that's where we are with God. And that ought to free us to see life as an adventure, as an adventure in the kingdom of God, rather than as a series of tests where wrong answers lead to failure. Thanks be to God for these powerful, life-giving truths. Amen.